This is Rainbow's podcast, the creative mindset. Hi everyone, this is Rainbow Moto, the founding partner of Ironco, a global innovation firm based in New York and Tokyo. Welcome to the Creative Mindset, a podcast about the art of building a career through conversations with the world's leading practitioners of creativity. It's an intimate journey on how they got started, their turning points, failures, and tips on work on life. This is part two of my conversation with John Jay, the creative chairman of Uniqlo, a global Japanese apparel company. In this episode, John goes into the specifics of the work he has done at Uniqlo. In the 90s, when he first moved to Japan from the United States, I remember the kind of work that he started to do for Uniqlo and the impact and the surprising shock the work that John and White and Kennedy introduced not only for Uniqlo but also to the market in Japan. Beyond that, he talks about his experience working with Japanese CEOs in the 80s. 90s and after that, and the fact that his humble beginning being an immigrant in the United States had later on his career and how that helped his creativity. So let's get started. I would imagine now, nowadays, you know, in 2022, there are a lot of agents working in, in the creative industry, in the design industry, in the technology industry. So, you know, agents have become. Not a prominent、uh, group of people, but they are more than at least your day. What were, if, if I may ask, and to the extent that, that you feel comfortable sharing, what were some of the challenges that you faced that,、uh, that were against you? Well, first of all, my parents had felt it all along, being new to the country and so forth and so on. So I've heard the stories. I've heard about them trying to rent an apartment and being turned away at the door. And you know, some of the racism was more benign, perhaps. We've had many kind people who helped us in the family as well. So that's the first thing I have to say. But、um, to this day, I will give advice to people. It may not be apparent on the surface, but once you put a dollar on the table, And there's a competition of 50 people. Only one person gets that dollar, okay? That's where racism, that's where bias, that's where bigotry raises its head. Oftentimes it's beneath the surface. So I have to say that the hurdles I faced were my own hurdles. The day I accepted the job at Bloomingdale's, and I it's, it's, it's good and bad that I remember this tiny little fact. Another friend of mine was just taking a great job, a, 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 a Chinese woman took a job at an architectural firm. And there's this photographer who knew us all, mutual friends. And it, it got to me、uh, through another party. And she announced she got this job and John Jay was going to go to Bloomingdale's. He said, Damn it, those fucking Chinese are getting all the good jobs. There's two of us out of the entire city of New York City. So that little thing, incident, just, raise, just raises its head above. And so don't be so naive. Don't be so naive. 
you know, people have these different turning points to take their career to the next level. And in this conversation, I'm learning that you've had multiple turning points, but you know, you've spent two decades, over two decades, as such an influential company, not just an agency, but a, a company, an organization that influenced many things outside of advertising culture and other things. I would imagine there were certain turning points that took either you as an individual to the next level or that took White and Kennedy as an organization to the next level, to the territory that it hadn't been. Can you think of a couple of episodes or examples of those, those turning points? Turning point was when we decided to open our own office in Tokyo. And I surprised everyone by saying, I'm going to go do it. They thought I would just come for the transition and they'll hire someone and so forth. And I said, no, no, I'm going to go do it. That surprised Dan. And on the day that I was leaving for Japan, Dan said, let me ask a favor, John. I want you to make this office in Tokyo the hothouse of the agency. And I said, what do you mean? I want you to make this office in Tokyo able to do creative work that none of my offices can do. He, he wanted to make sure I seize the opportunity by opening this little office in Tokyo to use it as an advantage to, great, to make cre great creative work. Are there examples of a situation that forced you to change your perspective? Despite my great admiration for Japanese culture, moving Japan forced me to change my perspective because I'm American. Today, I still say to anyone that joins us, the first thing I, I suggest, please unlearn so that you can learn again. So please open your brain, drop all that stuff that you think are truths, and be open that there may be other truths through the lens of someone else's culture. So, so I think moving to Japan forced me to rethink what I thought were truths through marketing and so forth. So truths such as what? Individualism is always the way. No. There's a collective way, too. And we're certainly, the world is seeing that right now, the value of that, having consensus in a collective way and mutual respect, right? Huge lesson for the world right now. Huge lesson for America right now. What do, you, what, what do you do to encourage and instill creativity? And what can Japanese executives, what can they do to teach creativity or to learn creativity? I had the great fortune working at Bloomingdale's to be involved with Japanese designers. My first friend in Japan was Issei, who, God bless his soul. And he opened the doors for me here, there. But remember, it was the bubble years. The creativity was flowing like crazy. It was like just flowing on the streets like unbelievable, unbelievable. This kid from Columbus, Ohio, dropped out of the sky into that culture, and it was unbelievable, unbelievable, the creativity at that time. And new friends that I had, Sai Chen uh, in, in Tokyo, 
who was in the 90s a conceptor. Remember that word in Japan, conceptor, which meant you come up with the concept, we'll get the money, we can do anything, we're Japan. That was the mood. That was the mood, and I had the great pleasure of entering Japan at that time. So it was on a high at that time, before the crash. During that time, of course, I had this amazing admiration for Mr. Morita of Sony. And I read everything in English. Anything written in English, I would read about Morita. I had such admiration. So I'm saying this because think about those days, about the brand of Sony at that time. What's one of the greatest taglines ever? Just do it, of course, is one. But the other one is, it's a Sony. It's a Sony, meaning you don't need to think about it. It's a Sony. It's obviously it's good. What confidence. But they could back it up because their product was pre-Apple, right? Their, their product could speak to that to that, that sense of confidence. And what else did Mr. Morita do? He became global CEO. He moved to New York for, with Mrs. Morita, took an apartment on Fifth Avenue, and learned how to engage with the, the important influencers of Hollywood and New York City. No Japanese executive did that then, right? I heard a story that he even learned how to dance in order to be social at Western parties, even. So he became this kind of the glue between Hollywood and New York and Tokyo. I'm telling these stories because this is what we need in Japan today. Now I'm great fortune of working with a visionary man, Mr. Tadashi and I, of course. So that's my background to Japan. I come with huge admiration, huge experience of seeing the best in giants of the, of, the, of the business and the industry. So fast forward to what you're saying today, um, I think that that magic can be had again. And why do I say that? Because people like Mr. Morita and Mr. Miyaki, they're human beings. They're just people. And one of the things I learned in New York City when I came from Columbus, Ohio, I was so intimidated by everyone. You know, in the first year, I didn't even speak in meetings because I was too intimidated. I thought, well, my ideas can't be any good. I can't, I can't speak up, you know? And then in English, we have this saying, then I slowly got, learned, wait a minute, that famous guy, that smart guy, that genius, wait a minute, he puts on his pants one leg at a time just like me. We're all equal. That's what we have to remember. Fundamentally, we're all equal. Something that you mentioned about confidence, confidence of the Japanese people at the time, in the 80s when you, uh, when you went there first, uh, for the first time. Mr. Morita of Sony, Issey Miyake, the fashion, the great, one of the greatest fashion designers, not of just Japan, but in the world. You know, who recently passed away. But at the time in the 80s, there was a lot of money, for better or worse, right? And they were, the Japanese companies and Japanese people were able to spend more, and that gave them room and perhaps, perhaps confidence. Or is, was it? Or overconfidence. Overconfidence. But was it money that was driving it, or was it, was it something else that gave them that kind of bravado, so to speak? Well, I have to think money is part of it. 
yeah, that money helped help them to go outside of that island and experience the world. That's what it gave them, the confidence to go outside and learn. Their eyes popped open to go, oh my God, the world looks like this. So I've always said that traveling is one of the secrets here. It's both humbling and educational. It's humbling because it teaches you, you don't know anything. When you travel, you learn that. So in terms of what gave Japan that confidence, so did money have something to do with it? Of course it does, of course it does. But I'll, I'll, I'll change it slightly. My creativity grew because I came from small companies with no money. My creativity grew because I came from this immigrant family with no money. That makes me better as a creative person. And to this day, I will judge someone by how creative they can be with limited money. So not having money is something I love as a way of testing the true creative chops of someone. Now you have to be ingenious. Now you have to network. So one of the tests I always talk, and it's a metaphor, but it's actually true. I want to give you a piece of blank paper, a problem to solve, and a pencil. That's all you got. But if you have an idea, and you have words, and you do typography, and you have conceptual thinking and so forth, you could create magic out of just that piece of paper and a pencil. Not having money is a great, great opportunity to hone your creative skills. What would be the piece of work that if you had to pick one that you would take to your graveyard? The fleece campaign for Uniqlo because it changed everything. It changed everything. For me, for Wyden, for Uniqlo. Because the impact of that campaign still exists today. We allowed, and we demonstrated by showing different types of people within Japanese society equally. A 14-year-old teenage girl, a professor, a construction worker, a singer, and basically with no celebrities. That's the other thing that was important about that. So basically, and there's a relationship between the work. Locked off camera, no movement, no fancy camera movement, no music. Basically, the question opens on the screen, tell me, this is my life. Basically, it's about, this is my life. And then we have people from all different strata of society, of, of, of Japanese society, from, again, teenage girl, to an up-and-coming singer, to a, to a professor, all given equal time to talk about their life. And as we think now today how localization is so important, that local is global, that localization, respect, demonstrating, before you start selling people stuff, before you start putting images in their neighborhood, show them that you respect them. Prove it that you respect them. And then at the end, the product shows up on the screen and the price. But for 27 seconds of that commercial, it never talked about the product. It never talked about, this fleece sure is warm. Wow, this fleece sure is affordable. Hey, man, isn't this fleece really colorful? Nothing. And nor did it have celebrities, and nor did it have fancy camera movement. It was a sign of intelligence and respect. 
if you look at that fleece campaign, what it achieved was remarkable because it exceeded all the sales goals, but it did not really focus on the product. It focused on something higher, and they, we didn't speak about it. First thing, this company, Uniqlo, the values and the principles of this company is based on equality made for all and a sense of democracy. The commercial never said, we are a democratic company. We never said we respect everyone. We didn't need to. We demonstrated it intuitively through the commercials themselves. So I think that campaign has a lot to do with where I am today at the company. It started with a series of television commercials, 30 seconds, although the smart media people said 15 is better. And I said, why is 15 better? Because you can run it twice. I said, why would I want to run? If someone told you something and repeated himself again, wouldn't you think that person is stupid? What kind of advice is that so I can run it twice? Why don't you give me enough time to tell a story with some depth? And why don't we show these people respect? First step, first requirement for me, we must always respect the intelligence of the consumer. Always. Not all marketers do. Many marketers think they're smarter than the client. Many marketers make dumb commercials because they think the, com the consumers are dumb. That is a problem today. Show them that you respect them. That was the second part of my conversation with John Jay, the creative chairman of Uniqlo. Three key takeaways from this part of my conversation. Number one, respect the audience. Number two, we are all equal. And number three, not having money is a great opportunity to hone your creative skills. Key takeaway number one, respect the audience. This is when he was talking about the first piece of work that he did for Uniqlo. And this was actually before he joined Uniqlo in the 90s. He was the executive creative director at Wine and Kennedy in Tokyo. And he was contacted by Misiyanai to start doing advertising for Uniqlo in Japan. At that time, Uniqlo was a relatively mediocre, if I may say so, apparel brand in Japan. But it was the work that he and his team did for the introduction of fleece collection. And that had an enormous impact, not only for just Uniqlo, but also in the way brands advertising their point of view to the audience. And in that conversation, he specifically talked about respecting the audience. You can't treat the audience without that kind of respect, you know, you shouldn't assume that the audience doesn't know a lot of things around them. You should pay that respect and give the benefit of the doubt that they might know more than you might. So key takeaway number one, respect the audience. Number two, we are all equal. And I thought the way he expressed this was quite interesting. And he said, wait a minute, 
you know what? Even the people around me who might be more talented and who might have more money than me, but even the most respected or most famous individual puts on their pants one leg at a time. And I do the same, they do the same. So yeah, sure, they might have more talent and more money than me, but we are all equal. Well, that was, I, I have to say, I was a little surprised to hear that from John, you know, who is now one of the most established creative leaders around the world. But I appreciate the fact that he had that kind of humility and that might be due to the fact that he had a humble beginning when he was growing up. And, then, and even when he started his career in New York, you know, he didn't have a lot of money and the places that he worked uh, didn't have a lot of money. And that gave him that kind of view where he views everybody as his equal. And even to this day, he might be quite technically more established than a lot of other people. He sort of sees everybody as equal. So key takeaway number two, he puts on his pants one leg at a time, just like me, we're all equal. And key takeaway number three, which is related to this point is not having money is a great opportunity to hone your creative skills. These two points, key takeaway number two and number three might be a little bit contradictory to the point that John Maida, another guest that I had earlier in this, uh, in this series, John Maida said that you have to be wealthy in order to be creative. And there were reasons why he said that. And John Jay, who also is an immigrant to the United States, you know, John Maida's parents moved to the United States and John grew up in, uh, in Seattle. And John Jay, his parents, and when I think when he, was, uh, um, when he was in kindergarten, moved to the United States and grew up as an immigrant in, uh, in, uh, in Ohio. So they may have similar backgrounds, but I found them quite uh, interesting that uh, they had different things to say about creativity. John Jay's point was that not having money, that kind of constraint, gives you a great opportunity to hone your creative skills. When he was growing up, you know, he didn't, you know, he talked about the fact that he didn't, they didn't live in their own house until when he was 14. And even when he graduated from college, when he first moved to, uh, to New York, the places, small places that he worked and he uh, did work for, they didn't have a lot of money. So that kind of forced him to be more creative in terms of the executions that he was, uh, he was building. So key takeaway number three, not having money is a great opportunity to hone your creative skills. To summarize, key takeaway number one, respect the audience. Number two, we are all equal. And number three, not having money is a great opportunity to hone your creative skills. That was part two of my conversation with John Jay, the creative chairman of Uniqlo. The next guest is PJ Carlos, a Brazilian novelist who utilizes AI to push his creative boundaries. So stay tuned. I am your host, Ray Inamoto, and this is The Creative Mindset. See you next time.